Good morning, folks. It's a real joy to be back with you. And uh, thank you so much for asking me to look at this wonderful chapter in John's Gospel, because I've learned some stuff that I had never uh, come across before. And it's been an encouragement to me, and I really pray that God will encourage you. The first thing we should do, I think, is just to read together the 21 verses that we're going to look at. And the heading in my Bible is Jesus and his flock. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays, down, shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just have a very quick, brief prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word. Please would you send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we might see and discover truth that would cause us to be even more amazed at your kindness and your grace and your beauty, and your majesty. Please, Lord, we ask it in the precious and wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
Well, when it comes to looking at a passage of Scripture, we know that it's wise to step back and to consider the context, because very often the context sheds light on, on what the Scripture is teaching. And Jesus here is teaching a sermon, and the sermon is, that he's teaching comes out of what's happened in the preceding chapter, chapter 9. You'll remember in chapter 9 that Jesus healed, uh, gave sight to a man who was born blind. And everybody was absolutely amazed that this man could see for the first time. And the Pharisees wanted to know what had happened. And the man began to explain to them that Jesus had come and healed him. But they didn't, they didn't want to hear that. They were angry with that because they weren't, uh, that didn't fit into what they thought was proper and appropriate. So the Pharisees were absolutely raging. Uh, the man said to the Pharisees, no one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Their predisposition was to stand against Jesus. Jesus had spoken to them about light and darkness. Now he changes the image to that of the shepherd and the sheep. Why? Why did he do that? Well, because the Jew, to the Jews, a shepherd was seen as the leader. The prophets and the kings of Israel were known as the shepherds of Israel. So let me ask you a question. Living in Hamilton or wherever you live, what do you know about sheep? Do you know anything about sheep? Maybe you've seen them if you've driven north or into the hills south a little ways, but do you know anything about sheep? Well, I have to tell you that I'm from the country. I'm a country bumpkin. Uh, I just took the straw out from behind my ears earlier this morning. And uh, we had a few acres at home and we had sheep uh, from time to time on, on, our, on our land. Well, I want to tell you one or two things about sheep because it's important to set the context and the background. The first thing I want to tell you is that sheep are of limited intelligence. Limited intelligence. You see, whenever a sheep is penned in a field, it looks over the fence or the hedge and it thinks, oh, the grass is greener there. So what the sheep does is he does his level best to escape. And sometimes when they do that, they get into a bit of bother. Now there's a sheep and uh, it thought that the best food was in the middle of that hay bale. And so it had a close encounter of an unusual kind with a hay bale. And there's another sheep, because sometimes they'll get into extraordinary places and need to be rescued. They'll need to be rescued. Uh, that is a sheep and that is on its back. And a sheep, when it's on its back, is, is what they call cast. Now, a sheep, well, if it lies down on a slope and it lies down the wrong way and moves, it goes onto its back and then it's stuck. It can't get up. It's cast. And I can remember having to rescue sheep because if they lie on the backs too long the gas fills up in their stomachs and they'll ultimately die. So you would think that a sheep would be careful about where it lay down because it can't turn over and get up again. Not a bit of it because sheep are of limited intelligence. I remember one time I was out walking across a bank and the bank was maybe eight or nine hundred feet high, quite steep, and there were clumps of brambles and gorse. 
And as I was walking across this bank, I came across a sheep that was stuck in the briars. And, uh, of course, being a countryman, you don't leave a sheep like that. So I, I went to get the sheep out of the briars. And, of course, as I went towards the sheep, the sheep was trying to get away from me. So it got deeper and deeper into the briars. I managed to get it and drag it out and, and point it away from the briars and let it go. And it was so concerned to get away from me that it ran straight into another clump of briars. And I had to rescue it a second time. But this time, my aim improved and I pointed it in the direction where there wasn't a clump of briars. And off it went. Sheep are of limited intelligence. In fact, uh, where I come from, if a dog chased a sheep, sometimes the sheep would be savaged and die. So the farmers used to shoot the dogs that did that. I had a lovely Labrador. And I can remember he was, he was trained as a gun dog. And I remember taking him out one day and... Uh, saying, sit. And I walked away from him, uh, wanting him to sit, and it was in a field of sheep. And the sheep are so curious that they all gathered together in the flock. And the, the dog was looking at me, and it was looking at the sheep, and it was trying to shuffle its bottom away from the sheep, because it was terrified, because the sheep were all together. But if a dog goes into a field, the sheep scatter and become very tempting targets. I, I read something really interesting uh, just, uh, just the other day about sheep, and it goes like this. The existence of sheep is prima facie evidence against the theory of evolution, because there's no way the sheep could have survived. They're that, they're that stupid. Well, in Psalm 103, we read these words. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That doesn't really sound like a compliment, does it? We're the sheep of his pasture. In fact, he goes on and he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And we know the truth of that. We turn to our own way, and we turn away from God. But living in the 21st century, I'm not sure that we find the image comforting as we likely miss the beauty of the biblical symbolism. Way back in Jesus' day, shepherding was an intimate occupation. The Palestinian shepherd never drove his sheep. He went in front of them. He led them, and they followed on behind. And while some sheep were indeed raised for food and for sacrifices, more often sheep were raised for their wool. So a shepherd would very often tend his flock for years. And he, he would have a name for each of his sheep because he would know them so well. The very existence of a sheep depended on the shepherd and his 24-7 care. And that's why there's no sharper image of tragedy for the ancient mind than sheep without a shepherd. Do you remember when in Mark, Matthew 9, Jesus got out of the boat and he saw the crowd milling around? Remember what he said when he saw the crowds? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because if sheep don't have a shepherd, they are helpless. 
and very often they're harassed. Now the Jews understood Jesus' point and today we perhaps need to catch the flavour of the words because they aptly describe our world. So let's focus on the text and see what it actually says. The first thing to notice is the shepherd's connection with his sheep. And the first six verses uh, make that very, very clear. We see a wonderful familiarity there. Look at the first three verses. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens uh, the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Well, you need to know that there were two kinds of sheep pens. If you've ever been down to Penrith and turned left uh, for Scotch Corner and gone over the Pennines, you'll see at the side of the road a uh, a little round, these round circles of stones. Those are actually sheep pens, where in bad weather, uh, shepherds of old used to and possibly still do uh, keep the sheep together for safety. But that there were also um, in, in towns uh, larger ones that were for communal use. And often there was a man employed to manage the sheep pen. So this community pen is what our Lord is referring to here. And he pictures the, the shepherd coming to the pen, being recognized by the gatekeeper, and walking into the pen, which might hold up to four or five different flocks. Now, for those of us who don't know, we might think that how on earth would he separate his own sheep from all the other sheep? Because they all look the same, don't they? Well, at least to us they do. They look the same. Well, the shepherd would begin to talk to the sheep and the sheep would recognize his voice and they would come to him. And in that way, he would separate his flock from uh, all the other sheep and they would follow him out of the sheep pen. Not long ago, my wife pointed me to something she read on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it too. And it was about a, a farmer's wife who had an orphaned lamb, so she hand-reared it. I had a friend who had to do that they call their lamb, lamb chops, which I thought wasn't maybe terribly appropriate. But when you hand rear a lamb, the lamb becomes, lamb thinks it's your younger brother or sister. And it wants to live in the house with you. And Anyway, she had fed, raised this, this lamb. And when it was time to sell the sheep on, the, 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 the hoggets, the, 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 the ones that are about a year old or just under a year old, uh, they, 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 they got rid of this lamb and it went up to Inverness. And after a while, the lady missed the lamb so much that she went up to Inverness and she said to the farmer who'd bought the, the, her, her sheep, she said, listen, I want to get this, this one back because it's a kind of a pet. So he took her out to the field and he, he said, there's the field of sheep. Now, which one is it? So do you know what she did? She had a pink woolly hat that she used to wear on her farm. And she always fed this hat when she was wearing this hat. So she took out the pink woolly hat and put it on. And all of a sudden, one of the sheep trotted out from the flock and she got the right one. I thought that was a really rather 
interesting story. Now, look again at verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. There's really a wonderful connection here between the shepherd and his sheep. And it's abundantly clear that the sheep trust the shepherd. That's why they follow him. In verse, verses further on down, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, let's read that again and look at it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. H- how? What's this kind of knowing? Well, he goes on to say, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That word know there means much more than intellectual awareness. It means an intimate knowledge. And Jesus, like the shepherd, knows his sheep. And sometimes the shepherd has to carry the sheep in his arms. And this is surely one of the most amazing statements in Scripture. Jesus knows us just as well as he knows the Father. And how How does the Father know the Son who is one with him? Surely there could be no more dramatic expression of intimacy. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And my my sheep know me. How well? Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That is just extraordinary. His knowledge of us goes back to a time before we were born. Psalm 139 My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knows us in the most profound of ways. He knows our pasts with our failures and our hearts. The things that we've never spoken about to anybody else, he knows all those things. He knows our present. He knows our unrealized longings. He knows our idiosyncrasies. He knows our names. He knows our natures. Have you ever noticed how different the apostles were from one another? Peter was impulsive and outspoken. Thomas was hesitant and doubting. Andrew was more of a people person who wanted, was always bringing someone to Jesus while, Jesus, while Judas wanted to use people in order to get their money for himself. Jesus knew each of the men personally, and he knew exactly how to deal with them. So Jesus knows our names, he knows our natures, and he knows our needs too. He knows our needs. That's why we need never be afraid because he meets our deepest needs. Look at verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. There was a very famous preacher of yesteryear called Campbell Morgan, and uh, Campbell Morgan uh, was a a very... uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I've missed, I'm, I'm coming to him in just a moment or two. Let, let's look again at, at verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. They understood the picture, but they had no 
real grasp of the deeper spiritual reality that Jesus was pointing to. So the Lord, Lord continued. He dealt with the shepherd's connection with his sheep and then he talks about the shepherd's care for his sheep. Campbell Morgan was a very well-known uh, preacher of yesteryear and one time he was going off to America and they didn't have airplanes so he was on this big liner and on the liner he happened to come across another man who was known called Sir George Adam Smith and George Adam Smith was probably the most prominent theologian of his day. So as you can imagine the preacher and, and the theologian they spent a lot of time chatting together and Campbell Morgan uh, wrote about the, um, the conversation. He, he said that uh, George Adam Smith had been in Palestine, modern-day Israel, and he was one day traveling with a guide and came across a shepherd and his sheep, and he fell into conversation with him. The man showed him the sheepfold into which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a way in, and Sir George said to him, that's where they go at night. Yes, said the shepherd, and when they're in there, they're perfectly safe. But Sir George said, there's no door. And the Palestinian shepherd said, well, I'm the door. Now, he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a man speaking in the language of the New Testament. He was speaking from an Arab shepherd's point of view. And so Sir George looked at him and said, what do you mean by the door? Well, when the light is gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Isn't that interesting? I am the door. I am the gate. Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In order to come to the Father, we have to go through Jesus. We have to go through Jesus. And I just love it that Jesus not only leads the sheep out, but he takes them to pasture. And what does he say to us? He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What, what do we have to do? Well, simply, we have to follow the shepherd wherever he leads, because understanding our shepherd no, he knows what's best for his sheep. So we have to follow him wherever he leads us, whether it's Japan or, or anywhere else. We have to follow him. So the shepherd's connection with sheep, the shepherd's care for the sheep, and then it leads us on to the shepherd's commitment to the sheep. Look again at Matthew 9, verse 35, 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's very interesting, that word compassion. It really means to have, have a, a feeling deep down in your stomach. Now, I don't know if you've ever had very bad news, but if you've ever had very bad news, it's like a punch in the stomach, isn't it? The Greeks used to think that the seat of our emotions were right down in our stomach. So that, that's what it means, that when Jesus looked at this crowd, he, he felt pain for them in the very core 
of his being. And because he cared for the sheep and their needs, he never ran away like the hired shepherd. No, his heart was full of sacrificial love. That's why he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I wonder, did you notice how many times that expression appears in the verses we read together? Any ideas? It actually appears four times. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, that's his heart. He devoted his whole life to, to us every day. And finally, he gave it in an act of supreme self-sacrifice. He chose to lay it down. They didn't take it from him. The Lord embarked on his ministry knowing what lay before him. We don't know at what stage he knew that he was heading for the cross. We don't know at what stage he realized the pain and suffering that lay before him. But we do know that it says in Luke 9, 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I think the authorized version says he set his face as a flint to Jerusalem. He didn't turn to the left. He didn't turn to the right. He didn't try to avoid he didn't try to postpone. He just went straight to Jerusalem knowing what lay in front of him. He was on a mission and he was determined to complete that mission. Matthew 26. You'll remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had a sword and he took it out and he began to swing it. And he, I think he probably tried to take the head off the servant, the high priest's servant Malchus, but he only managed to cut his ear off. That, that may, may be inaccurate, but he did cut his ear off. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? It's 12,000 angels. And I think they were there at Calvary. And I'm, we, don't, it, we don't have this written in the scriptures, but... I can just imagine they were there and they were straining, looking to see if he would even just move his little finger and they would have come to rescue him. But he didn't, he didn't call for them. Why? Because he was about a mission. And it says in Matthew 27, verse 50, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. They didn't take it from him. He gave up his spirit. Why did he do that? Because he is the good shepherd with a heart of love for people like us. There's something really beautiful in this passage that I've never seen before. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Do you know how many times he said that in the passage? He actually says it twice. I'm the good shepherd. Now, I'm going to do something that I... I, I, I I try never to do. The word for good in Greek is agathos. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is kalios. And sometimes that's rendered good, but it's got a different nuance, a different meaning. And the meaning of that word is beautiful. It's beautiful. So Jesus is saying, I'm the good, the, the beautiful shepherd. And so he is. He is beautiful in every way, beautiful in every way. Such is the shepherd that we proclaim in the words of the Song of Solomon. He's altogether lovely, altogether lovely. This beautiful Jesus, our shepherd, 
Why is he so beautiful? He's beautiful because of the way in which he relates to us. He's beautiful because of the way in which he calls us by name and knows us. I guess if we had time to ask one another to share our own stories about how we met with Jesus, we'd be amazed at how different our stories are. They're all different because we meet with him personally, one at a time. How marvelous it is that he calls us by name and he knows us. And because we know him and he sees to our every need, he does. Why is he so beautiful? Because he is the door. He is the, the gateway that we go through to get into the sheepfold, into heaven. And when we get into this relationship with him, he becomes not only our salvation, but our protection day by day. And when we go out with him, we find pasture and abundant life. And why is he beautiful? He's beautiful because that's his heart. He laid down his life for his sheep. And he offers us all a place with him. He goes on to say, I have other sheep, but they are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I have other sheep. I wonder, are there any of those other sheep here among us this morning or listening online? Folks who know about the shepherd but who don't know the shepherd personally. You see, we read that the Pharisees, the Jews who heard these words, were again divided. And the word of God always divides people. It's like the sun that melts ice or hardens clay. So how do you respond when you hear about this good shepherd, this beautiful shepherd, who views you as helpless and hopeless, but wants to reach out to bring you into his flock. How, how do you respond to that? Oh, my prayers this morning that you will not be like the Pharisees who didn't want to know because Jesus didn't fit into their concept of what the Messiah ought to be like. My prayer is that we each one might reach out to him and come to him because when we come to him, that fills his heart with joy, not because it validates what he did on the cross. That's why he came, to win our souls for himself, that he might spend the whole of eternity with us, enjoying us and teaching us to enjoy him. What a wonderful, beautiful, good shepherd he is. Let's pray for a moment. Oh Lord God, we thank you so very much indeed for the wonderful way in which the Lord Jesus reaches out and touches our lives and draws us to himself. We praise you, Father, that while we talk about your love and about its height, its length, its depth, 
and, it, and its breath, we really don't have the brain space to imagine just how wonderful and marvellous and majestic and beautiful you are. But, oh God, we are so very grateful that the love that you have for us today is just the same as the love that you had when you died on that cross all those years ago. Oh, Lord God, we pray that in your mercy you would draw close to us and fill our hearts with amazement and wonder as we continue to worship you. We ask these things, Father, in the precious, the beautiful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.